Hey, it's Brian, back with another Burr Months bonus episode. Actually, I'm back to introduce a Burr Months bonus mini-series. It's the first of its kind, but maybe not the last. Now that we're really in the thick of the Christmas season, you deserve a good old-fashioned Christmas bedtime story to send you off to dreamland with visions of sugar plums and all that. So in this special mini-series, Christmas Past presents a classic Christmas story told in four parts, on four consecutive days, starting today, and narrated by my fellow Christmas lover, Ricky Meese. Ricky is a broadcaster in Salt Lake City, and since July of this year, she and her co-host Mary Richards have been the voices behind the Sleigh Bells and Mistletoe Christmas podcast. The show shares Christmas news and features interviews with festive guests. And if you dig through the back catalog, you just may hear a familiar voice discussing Christmas swaps. Check it out, and don't forget to subscribe while you're at it. For the next four days, Ricky is lending the Christmas Past family her voice talent, her dulcet tones, and her Christmas spirit to bring to life the 1916 story When the Yule Log Burns by Leona Dalrymple. It's a simple and sweet story about the goings-on in the country home of a doctor and his wife who love a good old-fashioned country Christmas. Now, we'll do things a little differently over the course of these next four Burr Months bonus episodes. I won't give you a bunch of announcements at the beginning of each one like I usually do, nor will I come back at the end of each episode to wrap up and say goodbye. Instead, I'll just let you drift off to a warm and cozy Christmassy dream world. But do keep your ears perked up in this first part to hear John, the doctor, lead his guests through an old tradition of making a wish while striking a burning yule log. Did you know that was a thing? I didn't. That's one of the great things about discovering these old stories from Christmas past. There's always something new to learn. So, let's get to it. With no further delay, here is part one of four of Ricky Meese narrating When the Yule Log Burns by Leona Dalrymple. Polly, the doctor's old white mare, plodded slowly along the snowy country road by the picket fence and turned in at the snow-capped post. Ahead, roofed with the ragged ermine of the newly fallen snow, the doctor's old-fashioned house loomed gray-white through the snow-fringed branches of the trees. A quaint iron lantern, which was picturesque by day and luminous and cheerful by night, hanging within the square. White-pillared portico at the side. That the many-paned old-fashioned windows on the right framed the snow-white head of Aunt Ellen Leslie, the doctor's wife, the old doctor himself was comfortably aware, for his kindly eyes missed nothing. He could have told you, with a reflective stroke of his grizzled beard, that the snow had stopped but an hour since, and that now, through the white and heavy lacery of branches to the west, glowed the flame gold of a winter sunset, glinting ruddily over the box-bordered brick walk the orchard and the comfortable barn which snugly housed his huddled cattle, that the grasslands to the south were thickly blanketed in white, and that beyond in the evergreen forest the stately pines and cedars were marvelously draped and quaffed in snow. For the old doctor loved these things of nature as he loved the peace and quiet of his home. So as he turned in at the driveway and briskly resigned the care of Polly to old Asher, his seamed and wrinkled helper, the doctor's eyes were roving now to a corner, snug beneath a tattered rug of snow, where by summer Aunt Ellen's petunias and flocks and larkspur grew, and now to the rose bushes ridged and down, 
and at last to his favorite winter nook, a thicket of black alders freighted with a wealth of berries. How crimson they were amid the white quiet of the garden, and the brightly colored fruit of the barberry flamed forth from a snowy bush like the cheerful elf lamps of a wood gnome. There was equal cheer and color in the old-fashioned sitting room to which the doctor presently made his way, for a wood fire roared with a winter gleam and crackle in the fireplace, and Aunt Ellen Leslie rocked slowly back and forth by the window with a letter in her hand. "'Another letter?' exclaimed the doctor, warming his hands before the blazing log. "'God bless my soul, Ellen. We're becoming a nuisance to Uncle Sam.' But for all the brisk cheeriness of his voice, he was furtively aware that Aunt Ellen's brown eyes were a little tearful, and presently crossing the room to her side, he gently drew the crumpled letter from her hand and read it. So John's not coming home for Christmas either, huh? Well, now that is too bad. Now, now, Mother, as Aunt Ellen wiped her glasses, we should feel proud to have such busy children. There's Ellen and Margaret and Anne, with a horde of youngsters to make a Christmas for. And John, bless your heart, Ellen, that's a busy man. A broker now is one of the very busiest of men. And what with John's kitties and his beautiful society wife and that grand Christmas Eve ball he mentions, why, the doctor cleared his throat, why, dear me, it's not to be wondered at, say I. And Philip and Howard, busy as... As, as architects and lawyers usually are at Christmas. And as for Ralph, the doctor looked away. Well, Ralph hasn't spent a Christmas home since college days. It will be the first Christmas we ever spent without some of them home, ventured Aunt Ellen, biting her lip courageously, whereupon the old doctor patted her shoulder gently with a cheery word of advice. Now, there was something in the touch of the old doctor's broad and gentle hand that always soothed, wherefore Aunt Ellen presently wiped her troublesome glasses again and bravely tried to smile. And the doctor, making a vast and altogether cheerful to-do about turning the blazing log, began a brisk description of his day. It had ended professionally at a lonely little house in the heart of the forest, which Jarvis Hildreth, dying but a scant year since, had bequeathed to his orphaned children, Madge and Roger. And, Ellen, finished the doctor soberly, there he sits by the window, day by day, poor lame little lad staring away so wistfully at the forest, and Madge, bless her brave young heart, she stitches and sews away, all the while weaving him wonderful yarns about the pines and cedars to amuse him all out of her pretty head, mind you. A lame brother and a passion for books, said the doctor, shaking his head. A poor inheritance for the lass. They worry me a lot, Ellen, for Madge looks thin and tired. And today, the doctor cleared his throat. I think she began crying. Crying, exclaimed Aunt Ellen, her kindly brown eyes warm with sympathy. Dear, dear. And Christmas only three days off. Why, John, dear, we must have them over here for Christmas, to be sure. And we'll have a tree for little Roger and a Christmas masquerade and such a wonderful Christmas altogether as he's never known before. And Aunt Ellen, with all the embracing motherhood of her gentle heart aroused, 
fell to planning a Christmas for Madge and Roger Hildreth that would have gladdened the heart of the Christmas saint himself. Face aglow, the doctor bent and patted his wife's wrinkled hand. Why, Ellen, he confessed warmly, it's the thing I most desired. Dear me, it's a very strange thing indeed, my dear, how often we seem to agree. I'll hitch old Billy to the sleigh and go straight after them now while Annie's getting supper. And at that instance, at one glance at Aunt Ellen Leslie's fine old face, framed in the winter firelight which grew brighter as the checkerboard window beside her, slowly purpled, would have revealed why the doctor's patients liked best to call her Aunt Ellen. So with a violent jingle of sleigh bells, the doctor presently shot forth again into the white and quiet world, and as he went, gliding swiftly past the ghostly spruces by the roadside, oddly enough, despite his cheerful justification to Aunt Ellen, he was fiercely rebelling at the defection of his children. John and his lovely wife might well have foregone their fashionable ball, and Howard and Philip, their holiday-keeping metropolitan clubs, were shallow and artificial, surely compared with a home-keeping reunion about the Yule Log. As for the children of Anne and Ellen and Margaret, well, the doctor could just tell those daughters of his that their precious youngsters liked a country Christmas best. He knew they did. Not that complex, steam-heated hothouse offshoot of that rugged flower of simpler times when homes were further apart, but a country Christmas of keen, crisp cold and merry sleigh bells, of rosy cheeks and snowballs, of skating on the Deacon's Pond, and a jubilant hour after around the blazing wood fire. A Christmas, in short, such as the old doctor himself knew and loved, of simplicity and sympathy and home-keeping heartiness. And then there was Ralph. But here the doctor's face grew very stern. Wild tales came to him at times of this youngest and most gifted of his children. Tales of intemperate living, interlarded with occasional tales of brilliant surgical achievement on the staff of St. Michael's. For the old doctor had guided the steps of his youngest son to the paths of medicine with a great hope long abandoned. Oh, well, the doctor sighed, and abruptly turning his thoughts to Madge and Roger. They at least should know the heart glow of a real Christmas, a masquerade party of his neighbor's Christmas Eve, perhaps, such as Aunt Ellen had suggested and a Yule log. But now it was in the midst of his Christmas plans that a daring notion flashed temptingly through the doctor's head, was banished with a shrug and flashed again, whereupon with his splendid capacity for a prompt decision, the doctor suddenly wheeled old Billy about and went slaying in considerable excitement into the village whence a host of night telegrams went singing over the busy wires to startle eventually a slumbering conscience or so. And presently, when the doctor drew up with a flourish before the lonely little house amongst the forest pines, his earlier depression had vanished. So with a prodigious stamping of snow from his feet and a cheerful wave of his mittened hand to the boy by the window, the doctor bustled cheerily indoors and with kindly eyes averted from the single telltale saucepan upon the fire over which Madge Hildreth had bent with sudden color, fell to bustling about with a queer lump in his throat and talking ambiguously of Aunt Ellen's Christmas orders, painfully conscious 
that the girl's dark face had grown pitifully white and tense and that Roger's little face was glowing. And when the fire was dampened by the doctor himself and his Christmas guest hustled into dazed, protesting readiness, the doctor deftly muffled the thin little fellow in blankets and gently carried him out to the waiting sleigh with arms that were splendid and sturdy and wonderfully reassuring. There, there, little man, he said cheerfully. We've not hurt the poor lame leg once, I reckon. And now we'll just help Sister Madge blow out the lamp and lock the door and be off to Aunt Ellen. But strangely enough, the doctor halted abruptly in the doorway and turned his kindly eyes away to the shadowy pines, and Sister Madge, on her knees by Roger's bed, sobbing and praying in an agony of relief, presently blew out the lamp herself and wiped her eyes. For nights among the whispering pines are sleepless and long when work is scarce and Christmas hovers with cold, forbidding eyes over the restless couch of a dear and crippled brother. Round the doctor's house frolicked the brisk cold wind of a Christmas Eve, boisterously rattling the luminous checkerboard windows and the Christmas wreaths, tormenting the cheerful flame in the old iron lantern and whisking away the snow from the shivering elms, whistling eerily down the doctor's chimney to startle a strange little cripple by the doctor's fire, who, queerly enough, would not be startled. For to Roger, there had never been a wind so Christmassy or a fire so bright and warm, and his solemn black eyes glowed. Never a wealth of holly and barberry and alderberries so crimson as that which rimmed the snug old house in Christmas flame. Never such evergreen wreaths, for tucked up here in this very chair by Aunt Ellen, he had made them all himself of boughs from the evergreen forest and never surely such enticing odors as had floated out for the last two days from old Annie's pots and pans as she baked and roasted and boiled and stewed in endless preparation for Christmas Day and the Christmas Eve party, scolding away bedtimes in indignant whispers at old Asher, who by reason of chuckling air of mystery was in perpetual disgrace. Wonderful days indeed for Roger, with Sister Madge's smooth, pale cheeks catching the flaring scarlet of the holly, and Sister Madge's slim and willing fingers so busy hanging boughs that she had forgotten to sigh, with motherly Aunt Ellen so warmly intent upon Roger's comfort and plans for the masquerade that many a significant and mysterious occurrence slipped safely by her kindly eyes and with the excited doctor's busy sleigh jingling so hysterically about on secret errands and his kindly face so full of boyish mystery that Roger, with the key to all this Christmas intrigue locked safely in his heart, had whispered a shy little warning in the culprit's attentive ear. Roger caught his breath and eyed the grandfather's clock ticking boastfully through a welter of holly. Presently, it would be time for the doctor's masquerade, and later, when the clock struck twelve, and the guests took their masks off, that great surprise which the doctor had planned so carefully by telegram. But now from the kitchen came the sound of the doctor singing, Come bring with a noise, my merry, merry boys, the Christmas log to the firing. 
Roger clapped his thin little hands with a cry of delight, for old Asher and the doctor were bringing in the Yule log to light it presently with the charred remains of the Christmas log of a year ago. Tomorrow, another Yule log would crackle and blaze and shower on the hearth, for the old doctor molded that custom to suit his fancy. And here was Annie, splendidly aproned in white, following them in, and Aunt Ellen in a wonderful old brown gold brocade disinterred for the doctor's party from a lavender sweet cedar chest in the garret. And Sister Madge, Roger stared, radiant in old-fashioned crimson satin and holly, colorful foils indeed, for her night black hair and eyes. As for the doctor himself, Roger now began to realize that with his powdered wig, his satin breeches, and gaily flowered waistcoat, to say nothing of silken hose and silver buckles, he was by far the most gorgeous figure of them all. I said the doctor presently, striking the burning Yule log until the golden sparks flew out, I charge thee, log, to burn out all wrongs and heart burnings. And then, in accordance with a cherished custom of his father's, he followed the words with a wish for the good of his household. And I, said old Asher as he struck the log, I wish for the good of the horses and cows and all the other living things. And, with a terrific chuckle of mystery, I wish for things aplenty this night. And I, said old Annie, with a terrible look in her imprudent spouse, as she took the poker, I wish for the harvest, and wit for them that lack it. But Roger had the poker now, his black eyes starry. I, I wish for more kind hearts, like Aunt Ellen's and the doctor's. He burst forth with a strangled sob as the sparks showered gold. For more, more sisters like Sister Madge, his voice quivered and broke, and, and for all the boys who cannot walk and run, but Sister Madge's arm was already around his shoulders, and the old doctor was patting his arm. Wherefore, he smiled bravely up at them through glistening tears. Now, 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 little lad, reminded the doctor, it's Christmas Eve. Whereupon, he drew a chair to the fire and began a wonderful Christmas tale about St. Boniface and Thunder Oak and the first Christmas tree. Roger reflected wonderingly. He knew so many different things, how to scare away tears, and all about mistletoe and druids, and still another story about a fir tree, which Roger opined respectfully was nothing like so good as Sister Madge's story of the Cedar King, who stood outside the window. Very likely not, admitted the doctor gravely. I have nothing like the respect for Mr. Hans Anderson myself that I have for Sister Madge. I thought, ventured Roger shyly, slipping his hand suddenly into the doctor's, that doctors only knew how to cure folks. Bless your heart, laddie, exclaimed the doctor, considerably staggered. They know too little of that, I fear. As the grandfather's clock came into the conversation with a throaty boom, it's half past seven. And from then on, Roger noticed, the doctor was uneasy, presently opining, with a prodigious hum, that Aunt Ellen looked mightily pale and tired, and that he, for one, calculated a little sleigh ride would brace her up for the party. This Aunt Ellen immediately flouted, and the doctor was eventually forced to pathetic and frequent reference to his own great need of air. Very well, my dear, said Aunt Ellen mildly, striving politely to conceal her opinion of his mental health. 
I'll go since you feel so strongly about it, but a sleigh ride in such a wind and such clothes when one is expecting party guests. But the relieved doctor was already bundling the brown gold brocade into a fur-lined coat and winking at Roger. Thus it was that even as the doctor sleigh flew merrily by the deacon's pond, far across the snowy fields to the north gleamed the lights of the 752 rushing noisily into the village.